This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello lads and lasses and welcome to episode 62 of the Rogue Report podcast. Today we are sponsored by Sundland Red who always provides good video content on match days. He's kind of given us some chocolate, hasn't he, lads? Yep, beer as well. Beer as well. I didn't bring the beer into university because um, okay, I kicked out. <laughs> yeah. But as you can hear, we're joined today by Connor Bromley. Hello. How are you doing? Gone complain. Good. Had a good weekend. Enjoyed the game. Good stuff. And as always, by Gav. How's it going? You should have introduced him as Connor Bromley of Roker Report TV. I know. God. Oh, you got no, plug it. He's you got everywhere. plug it. The right. new enterprise. And we're also joined today by Daily Express and Daily Star journalist Ian Murder. How are you doing? I'm fine. Hello, chops. And how long have you covered uh, North East Football? Don't ask that one. It's a long time. Do you know, I was just trying to work out and I started on the Chronicle as a Sunday writer on the Chronicle in March 1990, the day after I came back from honeymoon. But I'd done a few matches. I'd done a couple of matches for the Shield set. I had six months there. And at the Northern Echo, I think I did a couple as well. So I think I can remember doing two matches when McMenemy was manager. And uh, But with the Chronicle... It was very famous first match. It was uh, Sunderland 4, uh, West Ham 3, the Kieran Brady match, it was known as. Oh, yeah. And I remember afterwards going to uh, interview Liam Brady, do a Brady on Brady piece. And, of course, uh, Kieran pops up now. He's uh, uh, We see we see him regularly, and he's... Uh, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, and it, Probably my favourite speaker when it comes to Sunderland he's, at the minute. I think he he's speaks very, very well. Yeah. yeah, he's very, very knowledgeable as well. Mm-hmm. Very good stuff. Right, we're going to jump into the three-word review. So this is what you had to say on Sullen's performance against Middlesbrough. We have Mobile Mackham that says, Goalkeepers cause relegation. Yep, true. <laughs> J- Jacob Hay says, Jesus is Welsh. SAFC Dolphin says, Just covers crevices. Stephen Cook says, Kids and has-beens. But he's joined the has-beens, so... Meh. Stephen Cook again <laughs> says, Pickford on loan. Mobile Mackham says, Still going down. Mobile Mackham again says, Steel is better. Jade Hocking, worst keeper ever. JD, I don't know, he's, oh, Casper the something on Twitter says, useless top knot, C-U-N-T, <laughs> can't really say that. John Ridley finally some fights, Steve A, Gerin, useless Gerin. Um, Jack Ford, McManaman does something, Ellip Moore, not a derby. Reese Benson, enjoyable game finally. John Ramsey, papered over the cracks. Will Taylor, no more Fletcher. And we'll end with SAFC North Yorkshire who says... Is their hope? What did you think of the game, Gav? Uh, that was it was strange, really. I, I was writing the match report for the site, and I'd already had me he- me headline written before before McManaman scored. Um, uh, to be honest, me me outlook 
was completely different between before the the goal and after the goal. Um, I think that goal is huge because I think every one of us would have been talking about Sunderland and how down had that goal that went in. Obviously, scoring it gives you just the glimmer of hope that you need mm. to to you know can they do it? And I, I think I think it wasn't a it wasn't a great performance. To be honest, it was two poor teams in my eyes, but it was very entertaining. Probably the first time this season I've been entertained watching Sunderland. And first time uh, this season, first time several seasons. Yeah, well, over two years, we've we've not had a great deal of exciting football to watch, particularly at the Stadium of Light. We've had some half decent away performances mm. this season, but not not anywhere near that at home. So, I think I think you've got to try and take the positives from it because if we don't, we will continue to spiral into that negative you know cyclone that seems to be sweeping around us at the minute we've we've got to try and take something from it and what can be taken from it is that we scored three goals against a Tony Pulis side which isn't often heard of um I thought Joel Osoro was very impressive I thought uh, I, I just think I just think we, we battled a little bit more and I, I know it, it was billed as the the game that's not a derby but it, it did have a derby feel to it. There was plenty of excitement, red cards, you know, the, the, the players seemed a little bit more up for it. Mm. Um, we just got to try and be happy about it, I guess. What was the view from the press box, Ian? Well, very similar to Gav's. Very entertaining game. And uh, as I say, they've been at a premium in, in recent seasons at the Stadium of Light. Was it a good result for Sunderland? Not really. When you're in Sunderland's position, mm. they need to win. Was it a good performance? Yes and no. There were flaws, we knew that. But, and I think this is crucial, you know, Sunderland's biggest failing has been the fact when they, when they go behind, they fold it like a deck of cards. Now, they went behind twice and they came back twice. Now, you know, yes, they did it at, at Bristol City, but that was away from home. Can't remember the last time they did it at home. Of course, it would have been nice if they could have got the win. Mm. But I'm sure, you know, it, it's about taking these little positives and building on it. And while, you know, their position is still desperate, that that is a positive, which which hopefully they will get some belief out of. Is it a bit of a kind of a false storm, though, Connor? Because we've seen this before. We've come back. We've had semi-positive results, and we've come back from losing positions, and we don't tend to build on it. Do you think we can? Um, I think this weekend, I would attribute it as much to Borough. Uh, every time the you know went ahead, they just sat back. It was it was amazing, really, because they would have won that game very comfortably in the second half. Had when they went two one up, they continued to push, and they instantly just sat off in a standard Tony Pulis way. If I was a Borough fan from that game, I would have been furious because they should have won that game comfortably, really. Um, obviously, I don't want to take too much away from Sunderland. They did have the character to come back and showed little bits of quality when they needed to, and obviously the defensively we were very poor, like, but. I just think it's a. I don't think it's going to be enough. I think Borough were a very poor team, as Gav said. Um, I've taken a few positives from it, but I can't see it making that much difference. I think after it, uh, we spoke to Johnny Williams. Now, a lot of those quotes didn't get used because Chris Coleman is so eloquent, so, so articulate. He's, he's great for for the for the press. But we spoke to Johnny Williams. I think he could be crucial. He's he's got what I call happy feet he can actually carry the ball he can beat players and as we saw he won a free kick uh, deep into injury time didn't he now you know he is injury prone but you know he does look a quality quality player no I would agree I've really enjoyed him whenever he's played it's mm-hmm. a shame he cannot stay fit I yeah. think the goal though will have a big impact on him because he's barely scored a goal his whole career I think right. his second career goal I well, think he, he made again. a big deal out of it didn't he yeah. afterwards he said that his dad travels home and away yeah. if he's playing or not and you know he, he 
he dedicated it to his dad. So obviously meant a lot for him to score. Um, you got to think it's been a really hard season for him. He's barely been fit. When he has right. been fit, he hasn't been able to stay in the team. Um, I think our survival hinges on getting players like that on the team. Absolutely. I, th- I think if you can get a tune out of McManaman and players like Williams, you've got half a chance. Mm-hmm. The problem has been that since Coleman's came, there's quite clearly been more of a, a, a drift towards the, the youth rather than the experience. He has a lot more faith in the kids than he does in, in the more experienced players. I think there's got to be a balance struck somewhere where we can maybe get players like Williams in the team. Of course, he what, knows Williams very well from yeah, his Welsh days. What was, what was interesting I thought about Williams was he didn't play... I mean, I've always thought of him as a central midfield player. He didn't play on the in the central midfield. He played out on the left. I know we were down to 10 men, mm-hmm. but I think when you think back, Coleman hasn't used him as a, as a central player. George Honeyman played central midfield with Catamull. Williams was out on the left and he was quite effective to be honest because he's quite good in possession you got to think Brian Oviedo his best performances in the Sunderland shirt have came with somebody holding up on the wing for him letting him go beyond get the ball in the box Williams perfect player great passer of the ball very patient mm-hmm. you know very clever really a clever, one of the more clever footballers we've got um, I think if you, if you can shoehorn him in somewhere and get him to play like he did in that second half Again, we've got half a chance and we've just got to build on it. We should also talk about the uh, the red cards. I'll start with Jake Clark-Salter because that, uh, that was a pretty meaty challenge, wasn't it, Connor? Yeah, uh, straight away. As soon as it happened, I was like, yep, he's off. Um, it's funny because we put it in the group chat and there was a bit of debate in our like, uh, report group chat. I was like, couldn't see it. I was like, it's a blatant, it's blatant a red card as you'll see. It depends where you sat on the ground and it all happened very fast. I've seen the replay back. And it looks like a bad tackle. As- aesthetically, it's, it's such yeah. a good tackle to watch because he, he flips <laughs> off. 20 years ago, that wouldn't have been a red card. Yeah, but just these days, it charged. is, isn't it? Guilty as charged. Yeah. <laughs> he can have no complaints, really, no. can he? But no. he does need to be smart than that. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a young lad. He's going to make mistakes. I think I think it was just... At that time in the game, we were on top. The players seemed fired up. The crowd were as loud as I've heard them all season. Mm-hmm. I think he was just really into it and his head went... Well, there's um, a few like niggly challenges just before that. There was a few hard tackles was. going in, and there was. To be fair, it, in almost in a lot of ways, it um, sort of brought everyone together quite in in a weird way. Uh, the way that the formation shifted afterwards, I think, was quite good. I quite enjoyed going back to four at the back with Oviedo at left back. And well, you've, been, right you've back. been a proponent of four at the back for a yeah, while. That's what I was trying to segue onto there. <laughs> noted, noted. Yeah, no, I, I think four at the back could be the way forward. Like, I think Coney maybe with Browning this weekend. I wasn't impressed with John O'Shea at the weekend. He's never dropped John O'Shea. Do you think? I don't think. I, th- I think he's just... He spoke so much about John O'Shea's importance to this that I, I think he's got more faith in him to drop him. I do. I think he, he's, he's had plenty of opportunities to do it and hasn't done it. Um, yeah, I thought he was just particularly poor this weekend. He is, uh, he's certainly the talker in the team, yeah. isn't he? You know, and... Uh, yeah, the, his organisation quality is there to be seen, but he is slow. And uh, John O'Shea probably didn't expect to play more. I, I wouldn't have thought he'd have expected to play more than 10, 12 games this season. It's starting to show. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he, the start of the season, he was a lot better than he was. But then he, you know, showed at the weekend, really, he's, uh, he's struggling a bit with the three games a week mm-hmm. scenario, which is what we've played. Actually, That was our third game in a week. O'Shea playing all of them. Um but then we've got another week's break to the next game and Millwall are a very physical team third biggest team I think mm-hmm. in, in the division in the league as well. yeah, O'Shea yeah. will play because Browning's not showing himself as particularly astute in the air um, we don't have anyone else what I can think of the issue is really if he goes with Browning with Coney both of them kind of pass the ball 
and John O'Shea, although he's not great, he is better on the ball than them too. And he can play a left side of the central defensive partnership. Yeah. Uh, we saw how bad Browning was there in the Brentford game when he played left centre half and every time the ball came to his feet he wasn't comfortable taking it on his left and he was just hoofing it forward with his right. That's I mean when you're playing five at the back, you've got to have defenders who can move the ball from mm. defence out of the wing. It was nice to see Kone go and I think he had a couple of those little charges forward yeah. which he did in his first season. Mm-hmm. And I th- and yes, he was partially to blame for Patrick Bamford's first goal, but I thought he was a—he was all right. I thought he, yeah, out of the, the centre half, well. out of the centre half, he—he he was the better one. Coney, like, uh, for me, I thought was probably my strongest defender. I would agree. And that um, was his first game back I, I feel, for a while. I mean, the first goal, my mate who was at the game with was fuming at, at the goal, and I was like, sometimes you've just got to put your hands up and say that's a good goal. It was a good goal. Coney gets really tight to him. It's not like he's—he's he's being lazy. He's really tight to him. The lad. Steps off a yard, does his fantastic turn, great finish, which nobody was expecting. Correct. Just one of them goals, really. You've got to move on quickly from it, and he did. To be fair, he had a good game. Mm-hmm. Callum McManaman got Sutherland's equaliser in his first kind of mean, meaningful contribution in the Sutherland shirt. Does he start next week for you, Connor? Yeah, I think uh, I sort of provisionally wrote what I would sort of play on my phone before we started. It's preparation, it's professional. Yes, you've not got a notepad <laughs> or a pen or like, no. It's in memos. It's in memos, but I can't open it because my phone's being. Funny. Not remember, like. Nah, I would say something wrong. I'd forget someone. <laughs> uh, but essentially, I would go with the back four. I'd play Matthews um, over Jones because Matthews has been better for me all season. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he keeps getting left out of the team because he's been solid. Injuries, really, in it. Yeah. Uh, Coney Brown in centre back. I mean, maybe O'Shea, but I honestly think O'Shea was poor, so poor at the weekend. I, I would drop him. Uh, Oviedo at left back. I cannot understand why he's been in and out of the team recently. I mean, apparently for tactical reasons, and it he just looks like our best like. Maybe not our best player, but one of our better players. I'd agree, yes, sir. I'd agree there. Um, in terms of the midfield, I think we need to go with the three in the middle with Katz, Williams, and then whoever's fit is the other option. Maybe McNair if he's fit, but apparently he's not. That would be a pity because he, he looked he, mm. he's got a presence. Physical. He's got energy. McNair's looked good ever. Whenever yeah. he's played for Sutherland, he's yeah. looked decent. But he I just like keeps him, getting... but again, injuries. And Ajaria, I think he's getting closer to coming back. He'll be back, I think, next yeah. weekend. So yeah. I'll probably go with him if McNair's not in. Mm-hmm. And then I think I would go with the front three, McGeady, McManaman and Azoro. And you've got Azoro playing through the middle. I would play him through See, the middle. We, we've discussed this today, and personally I think Azoro's better when he's got Magic to play off. I think, although he does possess your favourite trait, Azoro, <laughs> he, wins a header. He, go, he goes he goes for <laughs> headers, so Connor Bromley loves him. But and Connor, I, I, I take it, you're putting yourself in goal, are you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah probably. You didn't, you didn't name the goalkeeper, Well, and that's the key one. And mm, Listen, I, I mean, I, all these years I, I've covered Sunderland uh, and for all the the problems Sunderland had over the years in I would say 27 of the 20, 30 seasons goalkeeper has not been a problem mm. this season all three have been below par and it's probably cost the club eight or nine points I was hoping Camp would be the answer I'd seen him play quite well but he's been as ineffective as the other two, sadly. Mm. Do you think they could go for a maybe a free transfer goalie? A Shea Given yeah. is the one that I keep. Is Given not retired though? Shea, he's not played all year. I know Shea, Shea would have. You know, I remember speaking to him when he launched his book. So would Steve Harbour. Steve Harbour was keen to stay here, and yeah. both of them would have done jobs. I think it's too late now. Yeah, but uh, no, the, the three keepers have all been very, very disappointing. I, I just think there must be a, a better option out there on the free agent list because. Well, I can't understand why you would. I would rather the give genuinely Strijek a chance mm. over a sheer given. I, I, I've never. I mean, I'll be honest. 
Strijak, I watched the the twenty threes at the weekend. Uh, he was largely at fault for the goal. Um, came flying out, missed it all. But he's a young lad. He made mistakes. Um, on the big stage, is he ready for this? Who knows? But Jordan Pickford was thrown in and did all right. What's to say he won't? We've you know? also got James Talbot, who's been who's yeah, just he's back from, from Dalton. Yeah, um, strange one that I think he came back with an injury, so I'm not sure if he's back fit yet. Mm. Um, but I think you've got to stick with Lee Camp, and, and I think that's what'll happen. You, you know, you've got yeah. to keep. You can't keep changing your goalkeepers. Nah, nah but he's costing. He, he looks has no been, better. This but you've got to, correct. I mean, in, uh, this is what I'll say in defence of Camp. He hadn't played all year. He's coming and went straight in. He's probably going to take some time to adjust. I mean, if, if he can, if he can start putting in match-winning performances for the last ten games of the season, maybe he's not played. Enough. It was at Rotherham last was where he was playing every week, and they got relegated. Well, Cardiff signed him as the first choice in the summer. Neil That's Warnock right. did, and then yeah. he he got uh, injured. Etheridge, the second choice, came in has been brilliant. He wasn't able to dislodge him. No, I, th- I think with Camp, we've all seen over the years him playing in the Championship that he can be quite competent. And I think that's what's keeping him in at the moment because we know that Steele and Reuter can't really. And just to go back onto the Cesaro point, I think I'd prefer Cesaro with Madger through the middle. I don't know what your thoughts are on this, Gav. Can Cesaro play up front by himself? I've never seen him play well there when I have seen him play. But then I think he's improved so much under Coleman that he's not a bad shout. Well, forget I mean, he's, he's only 18 years old. Yeah, yeah. He's, you know, you're talking about him or Madger, him or Fletcher. Doesn't matter really at this stage. I don't think either of the other two are particularly great. I think, though, you've got to remember, Soro's good form has come playing off the right, tucking in, like you say, winning headers against fullbacks. Played very well there. I don't know why you would move him to be honest if he's playing well somewhere. It's just, a, it's just a. The, the problem we've got is we don't have a competent striker. Uh, um, for me, my thought process of putting him up there is so we can try and get quality on the way, like. Obviously, his always quality, but get McManaman and McGeady's on the I don't wing. Think, I don't think he likes playing with wingers, though. That's the problem. I think if he's going to play McManaman or McGeady, they play down the middle. I think so. Asoa likes to play the channels. He likes to. Yeah. He likes to. Mm-hmm. Inside, the old fashioned inside right, inside left. He likes to to create his own mm-hmm. space, doesn't he? It'll be interesting to see what midfield. I, th- I think it all hinges on who's fit in the centre of midfield. Because I think if Ovi Ajari has fit, he plays because of his height. Um, if, like I said before, Millwall are such a big team that. We're kind of forced into playing like that, um, which is why I don't think Honeyman will play. Uh, why Williams probably won't start, mm. even though I said I would like to see him play. I don't think he'll start in this game. Maybe a bit too rough and tumble for him. Um, and but of course, if, it was against Millwall. He did his shoulder. Yeah, 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 it was. You're right. Uh, well, you've got the other results of the weekend. You had Birmingham who lost to Barnsley, so that's kind of tightened things up down there. We still lie four points from safety so the draw hasn't really helped despite the kind of positive conditions I ask this every week but Connor do you think we're going to stay up? No I, I don't I take a miracle really I mean we're basically five points in as well because my goal difference is so crap mm. so it's where are you going to pick up you've got to pick up five more points than the other teams in 12 games and that's a really big ask you're, you're looking at winning Probably five of the last twelve. We've only won five all season, so why would we win five out of twelve? Your mindset will. I know for a fact it will. All of our mindsets will change if we pick three points at the weekend, oh, yeah. ah, and there's only a couple of points back in it. It's game on again. Well, I don't know. Ian's probably the guy to ask because he's not as biased as us. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I've seen a lot more relegation <laughs> battles. Uh, it is. It's going to be difficult, James. It's. It's not impossible because you know it is only four points, five points with goal difference, and they've been in 
tougher situations like this the fact they haven't had back-to-back wins for so long it mm. is a real negative for in that isn't it you know I, I do like Chris Coleman uh, and I think he has injected s- some sort of should we call it passion enthusiasm in, in, in the team uh, but you know there are some difficult fixtures you know let's face it this was meant to be the relatively easy spell you know Ipswich at home uh, Bolton away Brentford home wasn't the wasn't that toughest combination of fixtures you won't get much on papers easier fixtures in fact so it, it's going to be very very difficult but as Gav says correctly you know everyone's whole mindset will change with it with an away win and hopefully we get that win right we're gonna take a quick promotional break we'll see you very shortly Hello and welcome back to the Roger Report podcast. We're going to throw a few Twitter questions out there. We've got one from Dazaman06 who asks, will it come down to the last game of the season against Wolves? I'd forgotten we had Wolves last game of the season. That uh, that doesn't bode well, does it, Gav? No, trying to blank it from your memory. Um, <laughs> I hope it doesn't come down to the last game. I hope we're well safe by then, but I think, I think they'll have won the league by that point. Though they'll be riding the crest of a wave probably getting the trophy that day um, so you, you, it's a game you could do without isn't it but you've got to play everybody twice that's the way it is we always tend I don't know what it is about Sunderland but we always seem to play a really good team last game of the season <laughs> so in the past it's worked alright for us like obviously not last season but we're normally safe by the last game so we're alright but um, mm. I'm, I'm a little bit worried about that and I'm, I mean I don't want to look too far ahead mm. like I said like I said before the break uh win at the weekend and everything looks totally different for Sunderland and it's it, it's hinging game by game now we're, we're, somebody, um, Michael Oates wrote a really good article for the site last week said there was 13 cup finals left and I know it's a cliche but you couldn't be more right really because we win at the weekend and it's everything changes you know the problem with the the comeback against uh, Bristol City was that we didn't build on it we, we went straight in the next game got thumped we're we have to build on this. Like, obviously, like I said before, the the difference between winning and losing at the weekend is massive. Um, and obviously, this week we feel a little bit better about things. And I think if if we're going to this game at the weekend and we play exactly like we did against Middlesbrough with a high tempo, getting at them from the start, they've shown they can do it. They showed against Hull they could do it. They showed against Bristol they could do it. They showed again at the weekend they can do it. But they need to start doing it in the must-win games. You're right, and you know it, it's uh, it's too late to start saying, "Oh well," to get draws and say at least remaining unbeaten, hmm. because I think you know if if you look at Newcastle in in the Premier League, I think that's their, their problem. They're drawing games while the likes of Huddersfield might be losing a couple, then winning, hmm. and you know, I mean, the you know, three points for win, you would rather win one, lose one, win yeah. one, lose one than than three draws. Uh, Coleman said uh, that didn't he when draws. he came in. Coleman talked about that when he came in. Yeah. He said. You know, if we can do that, win one, lose one, draw one between now and yeah. the season, we'll be all right. Problem is, like say, oh, we haven't won anywhere near enough games. I think we're still the lowest in the league wins. Yeah, I think anybody's yeah. won less games than Sunderland. Mm-hmm. Big the next was yeah. six or seven. We we've actually shown we can score goals now, but I mean, it's whether you can sustain it, isn't it? And mm-hmm. obviously, he's got a big decision to make up front whether Major or Fletcher play. I think he's. I think that forward line clicking at some point will define whether we're still up or not Absolutely. because we know the defence is poor we need somebody to step up and start scoring goals I think he would have liked we've had a fully fit Kazenga Luar-Luar to pick he hasn't had him he would have been ideal at the weekend that game at the weekend when, when it was hanging in the balance 
somebody like that who just commits defenders and runs at people. I mean, to be fair, Matt Manning did it when he came on, which is why I'm an advocate for him starting at the weekend. I'm not his biggest fan. I don't think he's got a great deal to offer. But one thing he does do when he's got the ball is he likes to run at people. Mm. He likes to jink. He likes to turn. And that's how you create chances at this level because the, the quality of defending and goalkeeping is very, very poor. And we don't test teams enough. And I think it's about time we just took a gamble and we said, let's just go at teams for once and try and win the game. Do you know what? We haven't asked Chris Coleman for a few weeks now about Darren Gibson. And uh, I think he's still a few weeks off. But he's, I think uh, it transpired the other day that he's back a few weeks ahead of fin- uh, He's back right, training well, now, isn't he? Well, yeah. That'd be interesting because I'd like to see him with with a solo in the team, I think he'd be. Yeah, but I think that would be a nice little combination. He said he said he was uh, back fit, um, well back doing some light work, and said he's about three four weeks ahead of schedule. Well, that'd be great. So that'd be good news. Uh, well, he was he was, he he was, was our best well. player before yes, he got injured. He was. He so was. I, I mean, that's something to look forward to because Lee Catamall is so inconsistent. You could do with somebody else. He, he is inconsistent, but the, he's admirable as well. I thought. On Saturday, watching that game, he he does try and drive the drive the team forward. He did some very good balls. He also gave the ball away. He's a mixture, mm-hmm. you know. But I I'm, I am a Lee Catamull fan. Yes, the legs have gone to a certain extent, and I was dreading him going in for Takma Traore. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, he 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 tries to do the right things, and his mm-hmm. and his mentality is spot on. Mm-hmm. This leads me onto a question from Tom on Twitter, actually. Um, about Lee Catamull I know we are awful and have been for a while but do you think people overreact or criticise when a player makes a mistake um, or Cats takes a free kick due to our current situation it just appears particularly on Twitter that people scrutinise everything a bit too much it's social media isn't it <laughs> like people do you got that platform to say that somebody's shit and you can do that and people do it but people do criticise certain players like Catamull like John O'Shea because they've been there for so long and I think people are sort of sick of them in a lot of ways especially uh, John O'Shea's gets for me a lot of unjust criticism at times although he was poor at the weekend and I would say that but sometimes he's getting criticised and like look at the players around him I can remember, remember Catamon's debut for Sunderland it was Brucey's first game down at Bolton yeah. and I got a bit of stick I described his performance as Gerard-esque <laughs> and I'm not saying he was as good as but it was that kind of it was one of the the best debuts mm-hmm. I've seen for Sunderland I remember you know it, yeah. famously people remember Stan Varga <laughs> uh, centre half who never played another game quite like that, but but you know Lee Catamull's first first game at Bolton one 0 win was was absolutely outstanding. I, I think we've got to remember as well Catamull started like sixteen and what he's he did. thirty now. Maybe pretty he's, he's twenty nine. I think he's yeah. Maybe he's he hasn't got many. Twice. He hasn't got many more. How, years how many players? A do lot of mileage on the clock. Years. A lot of mileage and a lot of wear and tear as well. Yeah, well, again, the comparison's not strictly accurate, but of course, this is what people have been saying about Wayne Rooney in that he started at 16 and, mm. and people say, you know, the decline did set in. Mike, Mike Lones, another case of that with it, where Just, the injuries pile up. Absolutely. People who aren't naturally athletic, basically, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you wouldn't describe Catamol as an athletic person. Mm-hmm. He's got where he is through a lot of hard work, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, I, I suppose that's kind of where we've, we've fallen down a lot is... We don't have a lot of experience in the team, so the ones that we have got, we've had to rely on too much. Yes. And like when Gibson was fit, Catamull was injured. When Catamull's been fit, I mean, we've never had them both really for very long. I wouldn't both strictly play them together, but it would be nice to be able to rotate the two, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm. I'd be interested to hear your opinions, Ian, on what you make of the stadium of like atmosphere and the, the scrutiny the team receive at the moment, probably from, from Broker Report and the likes yeah. of Wise Men say yeah. ALS as well. What do you make of that as an impartial journalist? Is it hindrance or is it a help? Do you know what? I always see myself as a partial journalist because I'm, I'm passionate for Northeast success. Mm. But but I take your point. I despair when I see that ground now because 
the stadium alight when it's rocking is a sight to behold. I'm thinking back to the first ever derby against Newcastle when I remember Bobby Robson, Kieran Dyer got mm. stick from Newcastle fans for talking about the atmosphere. It's not. It's of course it's the acoustics, it's the ball, it's it's the fans. But you know those two games against Chelsea and Everton. Mm. Uh, I remember the journalist Rory Smith was covering it for the Times that day, and he said he'd never heard an atmosphere like it after the Defoe goal against against Chelsea. So you know this is what we're comparing it with. With this is what that stadium is capable of, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't like to see the empty seats. I had a word with Martin Bain back at the beginning of the season. I said, "Look, you've got to close that up a tier. Just bring everyone down." But, but you know, I think logistically it, it was impossible. Mm-hmm. You know, heaven forbid if they go down, because they certainly will have to do that next year. You know, going back, going back a few years. Are any of you can you remember when uh, Bob Bob Murray and John Fickling yeah uh, they developed the stadium and of course what, I can't remember which one said it but he said we always want to have one more seat than Newcastle and of course at, at the time Sunderland had the forty eight thousand capacity and and they could fill it and this is something probably your listeners don't want to hear but in hindsight it was a huge mistake to go from forty two to forty eight because I think over over the last two decades there have only been a couple of seasons where they could fill, fill that mm-hmm. there have been a lot of free tickets better to have better to have a supply that is a demand greater than a supply yeah. than, than the other way around yeah. and you, you know I think part of the problems that the club has been you know the free tickets they have probably overestimated sports Suddenly, they're one of the most magnificent away supports in the country they've got a very very good home support but it's and you know, it, again, I could I could leave myself open to criticism from Ulysses. It's not, uh, it's it shouldn't have a, a stadium of forty eight thousand because it doesn't have the consistent support for that. Of course, they do if they finish fifth, sixth, seventh mm. under Reedy, but uh, the stadium is too big for for the sport and massively too big for the sport mm-hmm. right now. I, I don't know what you three think. It was built for a different era, I think. I mean, when they built yeah. it after ninety nine, two thousand, it went up to forty eight and. Yeah. The ground was rocking. I remember it was, yes. we used to get tickets. Uh, yeah. My dad would wait on the phone for hours to get through yeah. to get tickets for us to go to games. And they, yeah, they got 30,000 for uh, reserve games. I know. Reserve games like you, you, time, you watch the um, um, the famous documentary Premier Passions mm. back and they, they didn't foresee this. the, the architects of that stadium. They, they foresaw uh, a strong Sunderland in the Premier League pushing yeah. for Europe. That's right. That's what it should have been. And, and right. the extension was done on the back of two very, very good seasons. You know? Yes, yeah, two seventh um, places. That's right. So... I guess at the minute we're we're kind of suffering from mm, that. Yeah. You know, it, it's become a bit of a laughing stock nationally from people who don't understand the situation, don't mm. understand why Sunderland fans aren't filling the stadium. Also, it, a lot of it comes from fans of teams who would dream of the crowds we get now. You know, twenty-seven thousand people or whatever still turn up. It's amazing yeah. that even yeah. well, listen, ten thousand Sun- Sunderland should take Sunderland fans should take a patent out on the adjective long suffering because <laughs> yeah, when, you, when when you hear Arsenal. You know, and even you know, lots of friends who are Newcastle fans, and of course, you know, they've got a terrible problems with Mike Ashley, and uh, but they had so many seasons in Europe. Middlesbrough have had seasons in Europe. How many? This three top top half finishes since nineteen fifty five. It's funny yeah, you mentioned that. It's, it's I frightening. Went, I went to um, the Wise Men Say Talking um, on a Saturday at the Peacock, and Liam Brady was the speaker. Actually, Kieran Kieran Brady, sorry, um, was the speaker, and. Um, he spoke quite eloquently about him being considered in very high regard by Sutherland fans mm-hmm. and he made the point that he's only played 30 times and That's he's got right. cult status and he's fondly remembered because Sutherland fans haven't had that much to look back on mm-hmm. 
with glee. And he also made the point that it's a disgrace that that, that football stadium has never seen any form of, of Europa League football or Champions League football. Well, it was so close at one stage. I remember that. the sec- I think it was the second, seventh place. And suddenly we're 2 up against Tottenham. Oh, yes. And... Uh, I remember sitting with the other journalists and I was like, hey, Europe with Sunday next season, this is going to be fantastic. And of course, they lost it 3 2. A guy called Gary Doherty scored a goal for yeah. Spurs. Can you remember him? Yeah. He scored two, I think. And of course, the, the next seat, Quinny, Quinny was on his way out. Kevin Phillips did, did couldn't reproduce the goods and it, and the decline set in, really, didn't mm. it? It was getting rid of Hutchinson, I think. Well, that's what I was well, attributed to. Yep. That, that sale fair was point. detrimental. Well, what's just, ha- just very what? good players, getting yep. old, really. Yeah, mm. that's right. Not, not replacing. Anyway, we'll move on to some takeover talk because I'm interested to, to try and pick Ian's brains on, on what he knows or doesn't know about any potential takeover talks because the Germans were rumoured, the Germans were rumoured to, to be back in the northeast at the weekend. Yeah, I don't know about that, but I've... I heard the German consortium wasn't taken particularly seriously last summer. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's, what, that's what I was told. Uh, do, do you know that this club... <laughs> It it is a remarkably good value when you look at the state of the art training facilities and and the ground. I know I was saying the ground in hindsight shouldn't have been forty eight thousand, but it is. It's a it's one of the biggest mm. stadiums in in a, in the country, and of course that that horrible word which is, keeps all northeast fans going called potential. So <laughs> so it is it is a it is a great a great proposition for somebody. I just wish somebody would come because clearly. It needs to happen. The one thing about Ellis Short, and I think it's, you know, people are looking at Short and Ashley. If you if you look at Mike Ashley at Newcastle, he went in with, for want of a, a better term, a, a sinister game plan. He, he he wanted that to be a franchise for his down market sports retail business. Yeah. And he splattered 150 logos here, there and everywhere. If you go to in, in, in Fawcett Street or Durham City or wherever the Sunderland fans would say, what, what's, what's Ellis Short's business? I would, I would have to guess, up up to fifty percent of the people wouldn't have a clue. Mm. I would say more. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he didn't come in here to promote himself. He came in here basically. And if you remember back in two thousand eight, we could have been in this situation. Then there was the the uh, the crash of the Irish economy. The Drummerville lost a lot of their money, and it was a very very seamless transition, wasn't it? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we thought it was all a clever move. Now, now Quinn persuading this Irish American billionaire it's funny how we now call him an American billionaire yeah yeah. Uh, but um, you know he came in and it all seemed very smooth and everything and you know the, 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 it was there was no crisis out of that drama was it <laughs> and of course since then it I don't it's not been a case of like Mike Ashley's trying to bleed the club right it's just been a, there's been a lot of good intention decisions but there've been so many wrong decisions you know not necessarily the the managers coming in Maybe some of the sackings were wrong. You know, the Di Canio one was probably the wrong... Well, was the wrong one. We know that. But, you know, the, the managers that have come in, there's been very, very few that anyone has been particularly upset about it. You know, most of them have been have been uh, heralded by the fans. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but, it, you know, I think it's just a gradual disillusion by, by this man who's... I think he's fallen out of love with Sunderland. He's fallen out of love with football. And by all accounts, he's fallen out of love with Britain, going back to, to live in the sun in yeah. Florida. He's a he's an interesting character, I mm. find. I find he's a mystique. Yeah. Very, very interesting. You know, Almost he, an absent order at the moment. He, well, he is. He, he, Chris Coleman confirmed as much last uh, week when he, he said he does, he's never yeah, sport with him. You know, right. he's a... 
he obviously there's a re- there's reasons I'm led to believe personal reasons why he isn't in the spotlight why he isn't out mm. there um, but then you have to ask well why do you own a football club because you, you kind of expect it to be like that you know and we're hearing now that he wants to give the club away for free provided the debt's taken on well good luck to him if he can get rid of the club that way um, I if, think if that if if that is true we've got no reason to suppose it's not mm-hmm. history will treat him kinder than people are treating him now but I, I think Ella Short has he's been unlucky I think he's probably one of the most unlucky football people you'll come across because I actually think he was nearly a good football owner he was very nearly a good football club owner he just never had the right people surrounding him he's mm-hmm. constantly made bad appointments and he's bored you know Margaret Byrne I mean Martin Byrne is I would say ultimately he's been poor he's given a hard job like I mean he's been basically told the assets strip the club essentially to try and pay off debt and that was never going to be an easy job for anyone but ultimately Short's just been a victim of you know as you say just really bad decisions yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily call him a victim I would say that he's just trusted the wrong people with his, with his own money and he's he's yeah. had his fingers burnt hasn't he Basically, but he, the problem is, is he, he, he was, he had a very good football person there, and Niall Quinn, of course, fell out with him. Yeah, fell out, and, yeah. And, and yes. that, that all went. You could and probably of course, Roy Keane. I mean, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah right. You know, two two people who had this club going in the right direction, he fell out with them. You know, the reasons of which we will maybe never find out fully. But for, for you me, know, the, the great white hope that was so disappointing was the the kind of failure of Martin O'Neill. I know. I thought when we appointed Martin O'Neill, I thought, right, we've got this now. Do you know, it's one of the, the biggest mysteries of my journalistic career, what happened there. And I know this sounds oversimplistic. It was, he, he never recovered from the grief of losing that FA Cup sixth round replay against Everton. I, I, was, I remember I that can game. remember him going into the press room and uh, he, he was grief stricken. He thought he was, because he was going to Wembley mm. and he had, he barely put a foot wrong and something drained out of him that day and yet that that summer he got Stephen Fletcher and and uh, he who shall not be named he who shall not be named <laughs> and uh, I can remember when myself I was flying back from Greece with Newcastle that had been a, a, a European qualifier and I was in my I was sitting with George Colkin and a couple of other journalists and we landed in uh, in Farmer Airport because Newcastle were playing Chelsea the next day put our phones down and Alan Pardew and John Carver with two, two or three seats in front of us got our phones and we said oh, Sunderland have signed uh, Stephen Fletcher and he who shall not be named and uh, they went you're joking and they were and they were really really worried and they thought mm-hmm. this is it and of course if you remember on again on paper it was a, it was the two wingers mm. the other one being James McLean who'd had a great season earlier yeah, yeah. and then Fletcher with Session just behind on paper that looked that looked a very very good uh, front four didn't it and obviously he had a it, very strong defensive mentality O'Neill didn't he so yeah, you, you thought it just you could, never worked just never worked you, you yeah. know what one of the things I think killed O'Neill as well because momentum's quite a lot in football and organisation and stuff it was the postponed first game of the season at home against Redden that's right yes uh, that's just, right. I remember everyone was everyone was buzzing for the new signings I was buzzing I remember going over it rained why, all day. why was that I forgot why it, it was, was rained con- yeah they had concerts right, on over the summer and, yes. uh, and yeah, I, yeah. I, I just think we never really got going from that moment but the one that the when, when it was eventually played, they won it three 0 didn't yeah. they? And you yeah. thought this is right, the season could take off, but it, it never did. And I think uh, I think it was the Norwich game, wasn't it, where where Ellis Short had made up his mind to axe O'Neill, 
because I think Sunderland played against a ten man Norwich for mm. for mo- for about yeah. at least forty minutes and never looked like breaking them down. And then the following week, then we had, yeah. I think we had Chelsea, Chelsea after that. That was the Newcastle game, so that's it was, what, was yeah. crunch time in the, in yep. the season. That's probably. right. Do you think O'Neill missed his assistant, whose name's gone? John, John Robertson. Robertson. Yes. Do you think that's what it was? Undoubtedly, it, it was strange because I've covered a few Ireland games. There's a, a lot of the uh, the northeast press of Ireland regular basis, but but I I follow Ireland as well, and I, and I was out there with. Um, I was out for the Denmark, the two legs against Denmark, and and his mood afterwards after the the, the, the hammering at the Aviva Stadium was very similar. It reminded me of that that evident day, but yes, I think he, he very much does does miss John Robertson. He has surrounded himself with with the same figures since his days at Leicester. You know, there was a Wolford. there was Robert Steve Walford, strange yeah. man, very very quiet. <laughs> He's uh, he'd go off and have a cigarette at half time. <laughs> and uh, then there's Seamus uh, McDonald, uh, Steve Guppy, mm-hmm. and it's the same same guys. But uh, yeah, John Robertson, I do think he missed him well, quite he, significantly. He's very much in the his, his former manager Brian Clough's um, kind of yeah. school of thought, isn't he? Yes. Brian Clough always had to have his strong assistant behind him in Peter Taylor, and then kind of tailed off when yep. when uh, Peter Taylor left. Yes. But it's um, aye, it's strange, right? We'll move on to Joel Osorio because there's been a couple of transfer rumours about him. Um, possibly off to Watford. There's been rumours circulated about PSG, Bayern Munich. He's 18 years old. He's highly rated. He's got one year left on his deal, and he's important. I will. What I will say about that is, if you remember when originally Asoro's um, agent came out speaking him up, all his top European teams. I think when he was 16 year old, uh, you know he's got oh, yeah PSG and rest of this and the other. Just he's playing well and he's playing regularly. He's got a year left on his deal. Wouldn't surprise you if it was just his age and getting his name out there again, just talking him up, basically. You know, what fellow what fellow buying everyone at the minute, aren't they? So, you, you've nailed you it know. there, Gav. I saw his agent. Yeah. I think he was on the phone to Martin Bain uh, within minutes of the final whistle when he scored. Was it the winning goal? Was it Hull? When he oh, scored yeah. the winning goal? I think he was on the phone to him. You know, and uh, Asoro, he's, he's very different personality-wise from... Uh, Manager. Manager. I've been told that. He yeah. knows his own worth. He knows he's on a journey. Uh, he's got great belief. And I don't think this club will tug at the heartstrings in a way it will with some of the young, younger players. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've been told as much. Mm. See, yeah, Manager's a different him, type of kid. Yeah, you know? Watched him celebrate the weekend. I thought he looked like he kind of gets oh, it. He may, maybe he does, but as Ian says, he's, he's on a journey. He's, think, came, he's think... came to this country from Sweden. Yes. His family moved over with him. The club put them up in a house, gave them jobs. You know, the, he, he, like you say, he knows his own worth. He knows something in the championship isn't the isn't the isn't the top for him. He's no. he, you know he's got and he, obviously a, a foreign kid playing regular football in the championship is going to attract interest. That's right. Um, Do you think know, the club's going to be in a position where they have to sell him? And if if ten million came in for him, and that, I'll just throw that figure out. I think well, we'll, let, well, well, let's let's just say I'd be delighted if that was the case because that means if he was going to be worth ten million in May at the end of May, then he's going to be scoring five or six more goals. And yeah, that's true. So, so that's a win-win. I would have thought. Just think, an eighteen-year-old though who yeah who looks you know I think for all you can tell that he looks like he's going to be a good player yeah, he does. and the way the transfer market is at the minute it wouldn't surprise me if that's the sort of fee that they'll mm-hmm. ask certainly I'd be upset as a fan if it was less than that yes. seeing it's, some it's, of the transfer fees we've seen over the last year I think if we go down we're going to struggle to hold on to them though 
will struggle to hold on to him. I think if we stay up, like mm. for, the, for the reason Connor just said, he's got a year left on his deal. Yeah, and years not a long amount of time. So they're not going to risk keeping him for a year yeah. and losing him for nothing. I think we need to sell you him know. to a team as well. Watford would be the right sort of team for me because if they sell him to Arsenal or PSG, they'll get no sell-on fee. I, I, would, I would severely doubt if Arsenal or PSG were interested in Joel Osorio. If I'm honest, yeah. no, um, I think I think he's a good player. It's funny what you were saying there, Gav, because we're talking about mistakes of the past. And we're talking about, you know, bad decisions. I think, looking back, some of the bad decisions have been not selling players at the right time. Yeah. And nobody wants to lose the best players. But if you remember, you know, Kevin Phillips could have gone for twice twice as much the yeah, previous yeah. season. And fans hate seeing the favourite players go. Well, but it's a fact of footballing life. And there's been a lot of players who could have left Sunderland for much higher than they eventually did. That, that fire sale that summer was uh, you know, going off on a tangent but I, mm. I remember Sorensen going for pennies Gavin yeah. McCann going McCann, for pennies that's right we, we have we, undercut ourselves a lot of the time we as fans only get used to being a, a selling club we will sell out our best you know? young players now and that's going to be just the way my, it is for now. My, my problem I guess is that in the case of Pickford in the summer we didn't see a penny of that go back into the squad and that's really really frustrating mm. I hope if if we do you know there was obviously rumours about Ethan Robson he's out of contract in the summer the, the big Scottish clubs looking at him yeah, we're, I think it's just something we've got to prepare ourselves for we've gave these kids a lot of exposure this season and mm-hmm. people will be looking at them they're not, you know just a fact of it the fact of the matter isn't it mm-hmm. right we'll have a little look ahead to the Millwall game um, Millwall have only lost one game since Box- Boxing Day won the last three not lost at home since the 4th of November when Burton beat them 1-0 um, they're pretty solid defensively only conceded 35 goals scored 40 three more than Sunderland and they're currently 12th, six points off the playoffs. Bang and form. Good. I'm very glad that you've utilised all my stats that I did for you. <laughs> <laughs> got to get it in, hasn't he? I don't know. Well, you spent the whole time ripping my sheets, so I thought I may as well take the praise where I can. I think well, Bromley a- produced the show without knowing what producing a show meant, so credit to him. Uh, shut up. <laughs> um, no, for the game of the weekend, uh, hard game. I think it'll be a struggle. I'd be surprised if they get anything, really. But depends. Does that keep up playing for them again? chuck a couple in. Oh yeah, the game. Right, I won't be playing for us, but mm. uh, I just think they're depends. they're in form, and I think they'll be having. This is probably the first game they've thought where they are in playoff contention. Big because... ugly teams are the type that we don't want to be facing, which mm-hmm. is what Millwall are—a big ugly team who will bash you from pillar to post for ninety minutes and graft that their asses off for the manager and the in the club they play for. To be honest, they're a club I'm very envious of in that sense because they've got a team of very hard-working, p- limited players who, who you know, have bought into the culture of the club. And I, I, I quite like watching Millwall play. To be honest, I, I think that although they're very, they're, they're not like as technically uh, beautiful, I guess, as, as Wolves. That they're, they're, they're still a good sight to watch, and they know how to play. Um, yeah. I'm worried. I'm worried about the game at the weekend. If I'm I, honest, I think you know what, what you said, Connor. This is probably the one game. If they win it, they can start thinking we could sneak into the playoffs. If they don't win it, then they're pretty much safe and they can start looking forward to the holiday. So it's, it's probably not the best time to be playing them. Correct. I suppose they might maybe be believing their own hype now because they are starting to get a bit of hype because they've been playing so well. And they might, I don't know, maybe take this game for granted in the similar sense of what Bristol City did the second half against a, well, a few weeks ago. What I don't want to see is us play like we have done against big ugly teams like Birmingham away for instance when I was down there uh, a big physical team who liked to play in the air Sunderland tried to play like them and it didn't work. We've done that too often this season against big ugly teams tried to play up in the sky hoofing it long very direct I, I mean I don't understand that whatsoever I think like I said before Sunderland's strength is in keeping it down and going at teams with 
the few you know creative players mm. we've got. And if we can, if we can get an early lead like we did against Borac, it gives you. I, I mean, it's said over and over, isn't it, about Sunderland that you can usually tell within five minutes what kind of game it's going to be. You can first five minutes, you know exactly whether Sunderland are going to turn up or not. And at the weekend, the first five minutes, I was confident because mm. I thought, oh, great. If, but it's it's about how we follow it up. It, it can't be stressed enough that Coleman Coleman said about the um, oh god, what game was it? We lost. We've lost that many of them. It was only the other week. Brentford. Uh, I think it was the Brentford game when he was. Yeah, it was. It was a Brentford game when he said that. You know, after the game, he came out and said, "Well, we, they weren't." He basically said they weren't told to play like that. He said it was. It was maybe a bit of nerves or something right. or other. Um, they've got to get over that eventually because it, we are getting down to the nitty gritty. I've said this. I think maybe a few weeks back on the show that you will see the true worth of Chris Coleman and the type of manager he is when the pressure's really on and it's like when we've been in the Premier League before and we've got eight games we're like if we don't start winning games we're down mm-hmm. until that pressure's on them I, I'm struggling to see which way this is going to be honest but a win would be massive to be honest Can I have a, a score prediction for me guys please? God I'm not confident like I, uh, I think I think if Millwall if Millwall have watched us play against teams like them at all, it won't be hard to beat. Um, 2 0 Millwall, I'm going. Connor Bromley, your score prediction? I'll say 1 0 Millwall. Ian Murto? I'm going to say 2 2. 2 2. We're going to go into the usual feature, the 20 second feature, where oh. I throw questions at you. Ian, are you taking part in this? What I'll, I'll, do? I'll keep. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, th- I throw 20 seconds at you with a question. You've got to make a compelling argument, make your case, and then I'll be the judge. I'm Gav's 2 0 up, up in the series, so. Oh, no. Chance for Connor to wear claw back. The question will be your favourite Sunderland player of all time. Oh, hey. Who wants to go first? Uh, Gav, you get to choose who goes first since you won in the series. Connor, put the pressure on because he's just said um about four times. Uh, so. Right. <laughs> Connor Bromley from Blythe, <laughs> you have 20 seconds starting from now. Uh, I want to say Stefan Schwartz because he was blonde and I was a blonde child when I did have hair, even though I'm losing it now. And he <laughs> scored that amazing goal against Arsenal where he did that volley chip thing in like 0-1 or 2. And that was a great goal. I always remember it. So yeah, Stefan Schwartz. Nice. 15 seconds. 15 uh, seconds. I normally overrun, so I was trying to be concise. We'll leave, uh, we'll leave the guest to last, so we'll go with Come on, then. Gav. 20 seconds starting from now. My favourite player of all time supporting Sunderland is... Julio I just literally changed my mind as I said that I was going to go with Niall Quinn but no Julio mainly because I as a player I thought in a troubling time as a as a club when we didn't have a lot of money he stuck around he showed his quality and got us up twice I think so yeah Julio Arca. stop ah, I think that was Ooh. a poor any right guy like right it took him here just to spit it out Ian, stop putting you... thoughts in his mind just because you want to win this one. <laughs> oh, don't listen to him anyway never mind on the podcast <laughs> Ian you have 20 seconds starting from now well, I'm going to say Nal Quinn, and it's not just because favourite player, favourite person, because, of course, his work as a chairman as well, and as an ambassador for Sunderland. What the great thing about Nal Quinn was fans up and down the country were envious of Sunderland because they had Nal Quinn, and I think that was a, a great time to be a Sunderland fan. Oh, that was very good. Nah, you know, I, I, think, um, I think Gav's decision to change from Julio Walker to Nal Quinn has, has lost him. I think Ian wins that one. Congratulations. <laughs> Who finished second? The professional journalist. <laughs> Who finished second? There's no, you, don't, you don't win anything oh, for being second. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Well, I think that's a wrap. Ian, thank you very much. For right, coming it. pod. We, we appreciate it very much. Thank you. Um, we are, we've just started a new venture, Roker Report TV. Connor, do you want to give a quick summary of that for our loyal listeners well, it's, it's kind of like this but you get to see me and James's face yeah um, we argue a bit we argue a bit it's uh, filmed at Beehive Studios yes. make sure I plug that um, 
Nah, it's good. It's good banter. Basically, this is what me and James do every day at uni, but on it with a camera. Then. I enjoyed it, actually. I thought it was really well produced. Good lighting, good cameras. Uh, the content was all right. <laughs> uh, no, nah, it was it was good. It went down well as well. I think there for, is, a, for a first episode to get around 2,000 people to watch it, it's not bad, really. So, good. well done. There's kind of like a, an area. There's no good Sunderland YouTube content. Yeah, there, so. we did this little bit of research beforehand. No offence to anyone like, listening. Well, that Jackarini's yeah, quite good. Yeah, we're, we're, there's, we're, not, there's, not, there's not a great deal of uh, stuff out there for Sunderland fans on YouTube. YouTube is massive in, in, in football now. It's a form of media almost as big as what we do and what papers do because you look at like what that Arsenal fan thing, which I'm not a great fan of, but I mean, Get it. hundreds of thousands of people watch that channel. Mm. It's obviously very, very influential and people enjoy it. So it's a route to go down. Son and fans have got something to watch now. We've had, we've had some some nice messages of praise, and but we've also had some pelters as well. Yeah. FTN Bezer, I'd like to <laughs> think you're a knob and nobody <laughs> likes you. We're called, we're called melts. Cold, we get called melts, but yeah, it's yeah. water off a duck. Somebody was saying actually, I was reading the word saying they like James but they didn't know which one James was and they were like it's either camp one yeah like, the distinguishing no. creature was Bromley's camp voice <laughs> so apparently I'm camp apparently, apparently we'll pick on you oh, that was another thing yeah I am on. a bit bullied actually apparently get to pick one on the podcast yeah, I, I don't, don't take know it that. though James is probably like he bite me so yeah, you kind of you you pick on James call me chump just, for a reason yeah he just yeah. bites at everything he's anyway, Welsh if as well apparently he's Welsh but he's from Hendon he had to get the digging my dad's Welsh man <laughs> right, anyway, if you want some more Sullen related content, content, make sure you head over to rockreport.com. We're on Instagram, we're on Twitter at the Rock Report, we're on Facebook, and we're very happy to announce that we are now in partnership with Number Two Church Lane, who have agreed to sponsor us for a little while. Um, head over there, there's some nice burgers. The Pluck and Swine, I would recommend. It's like a chicken burger with Parmesan sauce on. Can't beat it. Nice. Very good. You've been before, haven't you, Gav? Once. I can't remember what I got, though. Did but it was nice, yeah, it was nice. Yeah, it was good, Brom. Good to I think I'm going to take you for a mate date and we'll, we'll go to well, yeah, the other I've never been, but I'm sure it's nice. Right, like it's it, just yes. opposite the Empire Theatre for anybody that doesn't know. There we go. Any final words, lads? No, any inside just information? Keep the faith. That's what I say. Ian, any inside information? That's what I say. No, the table I'll t- tell you what, one, one point I thought you could say, where did Sunderland's problems? And I remember last year, David Moyes said to the press lads, he, made, he, he was very media friendly at first. He said, any help you can give me, you know? And I came up with this theory about about loan deals, and I said that the thing Sunderland's loan deals had been had been the root cause of the problem because the loan players have been so successful that the moment the season finished and they left, the a, a club was weaker. Yeah. I mean, if you look right away, you know you've got you've got the likes of Envia, of course. You had the likes of uh, Alonso, Alonso and Evans. Danny Rose. Johnny Evans, even uh, even you could say Nicholas Bentner, you know, had had a deep, not a bad season, you know. So the the moment who was the one you said there, Danny Simpson, yeah. Key, well, yeah. Key, is Key, one, yeah. Key was of course. So the and the moment the season finished, Sunderland, who had just fought off relegation, and were trying to get stronger, one of their best players left. Yeah, and so so that I've always had this theory about you know the loan the loan signings. Stop loaning players. Yeah, I think yeah. I think a lot, a lot of Sunderland fans would uh, would definitely. You have to utilise the low market when you're at the bottom of the league. You one, do. Though. You do. <laughs> you, do. you need to have replacements lined up. No, that's true. We've always thought as well when we've had the chance to buy these players, the clubs often yeah, been like, exactly. "We can do better than them, so yeah. we're going to buy we Rodwell instead of Key." Yeah, <laughs> we'll buy Van Aanholt. To be fair, Van Aanholt's all right instead of Alonso. You just wonder if Danny Rose, if if money had gone in there, because he, you know, he wasn't. A, he would. He wouldn't have gone in as a as a first team regular at Spurs, but he was mm. terrific. And what about Jan and Vier? Like, well, I mean, you probably have an idea why Jan and Vier didn't happen, but we just were all scratching our heads. Yeah, the guy wanted to sign, we had a deal wrapped up for him, and he was brilliant. And they were just like, no. I think the money problems that were, were there by then. Mm. Yeah. 
We weren't going to pay 100 grand a week to a player. Yeah. Unfortunately. No, our our uh, board aren't really forthcoming with 100 grand a week paychecks, are they? I would have finished bottom with like 29 points in third. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you all very much for listening once again. Thank you, Ian, for coming in. Connor, it's been a pleasure. Gav, it's been a pleasure. No I've been James Copley. Um, I will be around for the next pod next week after Millwall. Let's hope it's a positive result. Cheers. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.